And now, it's time once again for the show that gives glorious voice to 25 million business owners across the fruited plain. Radio Free Enterprise with Frank Felker. Thank you, Dude Walker. Yes, indeed, I am Frank Felker. Welcome back to Radio Free Enterprise. My guest today is Cherie Warwick. Cherie is a professional business plan writer and the author of Creating Business Plans That Actually Get Financed. Cherie Warwick, welcome to Radio Free Enterprise. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, everyone, for having me. I'm very happy to have you here, Cherie. I can't tell you how many times your name has popped up on social media or various things. Uh, since you and I met, I think we figured out it was like 10 years ago. But we yes. haven't exactly stayed in constant contact, but I guess we've stayed on each other's radars. And your expertise in the area of business plans is directly in alignment with what I try to help business owners and executives with here on Radio Free Enterprise. Now, you have created hundreds of business plans that have helped your clients raise between $10,000 and $20 million in mm -hmm. debt and equity capital. What sort of companies do you work with, Cherie? So I work with uh, all sorts of companies. I've worked with government contractors, technology companies, catering companies, restaurants, low tech, high tech, contractors, like, you know, HVAC people, plumbers, etc. I've worked with startups all the way up to a company that was 23 years old and everything in between. And uh, I love, I love it. <laughs> That's quite a wide range. And so obviously you've had experience with both what I call lifestyle businesses versus growth businesses, uh, bricks and mortar businesses versus uh, virtual businesses or online businesses. I'm very happy to hear that because, as you know, probably better than I do, that uh, while there are a lot of differences among all these different types of businesses, there are a lot of essential things that are the same. And I can see where within a business plan, that you're writing uh, with the objective of getting financing, a lot of those things are the same. Now, what types of financing have these companies been looking for? So uh, it's interesting, Frank, because people usually come to me knowing that they are thinking that they qualify and should go after one type of financing. And then based on our discussion, sometimes they end up really needing to pursue another type of financing. So I've helped people get uh, bank loans, um, family and friend money, private investor money, venture capital money, uh, equity crowdfunding, you know, you name the gamut with regards to the different types of funding that is available to entrepreneurs, and I've helped them. <laughs> okay. So kind of like your last answer, you name it. That's, you yeah. know, that's who I help, and this is what I've helped them raise. And again, right. I think this is fantastic because, as we will discuss later, there are different things you should say or share or, or what have you or project in a business plan dependent upon what types of or type of finance you're looking for. And I also thought it was interesting. You think you want this, but maybe you'd be better with that. So yeah. your experience clearly can help them with that. Let's talk about the business plan itself. What, what are the elements of a successful business plan? 
Well, the first element of, uh, I'm going to call it an investable business plan. Uh, I like that uh, word Something that much. banks or investors would actually love and want to put money in is number one, it needs to be a scalable business. Uh, there's a difference between a lifestyle business and a scalable business. A lifestyle business is, hey, I want to make $150,000 to $200,000 a year. Um, I want to work 20 hours a week. And, you know, I just want to keep it super small and boutique. Well, that's great, but that is not the types of businesses that banks and investors fund. So that's number one. Um, and then from there, we have a framework that we use to put together investable business plans. It's six parts. The first is the market opportunity. So quantifying the market and how much of the market you expect to capture. Part two is the marketing plan. How do you intend to get and keep customers? Part three is the team. Because the number one reason that a business is not funded has nothing to do with the validity or the goodness or badness of the idea. It has to do with the fact that the team you've assembled, the investor doesn't believe that this team can actually help the company reach its next milestone. Uh, part four is your competition and competitive advantages. Part five is the financials, and we usually do a five-year financial forecast for our clients. And then part six, is uh, your exit or payback plan. So if somebody gives you half a million dollars, how and when can they expect their money back? And those are the six parts to an investable business plan. Well, you clearly know what you're talking about and I really appreciate you sharing that knowledge with us here today. Now, I gotta figure there are a lot of times people come to you, you've already mentioned a couple of things, where they think something is one way, but it's actually another way regarding their business, regarding what type of financing. What about regarding the business plan and like the six areas that you just mapped out? Is there one of those areas where you find most business owners or more than others are off base about? Or what, what are some common misconceptions that owners have about writing a business plan? Yeah, so um, a lot of people believe that writing a business plan is just, I tell you what I want and you just slap it on a piece of paper. <laughs> um, and as somebody who has, has done business plan reviews of other uh, people who have written business plans, it's not that. So what I always explain to people is imagine you have given your business plan to an investor. This is the investor that could write a half million dollar check for you and your business. It's 11 o'clock at night. They're tired. They had a tough day, but they said before they went to sleep, they were going to look at this business plan. Now they expect this business plan to put them to sleep. However, <laughs> they read the first paragraph and they're immediately awake. By the time they're done reading the business plan, they're emailing you with all sorts of ideas, all sorts of people they want to introduce you to, etc. That is the power of a truly investable business plan. But that takes creativity. It takes somebody who is able to um, to take the numbers within the business plan and tell a story around those numbers and be able to say, 
if we get your money, we'll be able to do this, this, and this, and this is our expected outcome. And even if we don't get to that outcome, we have an agile enough team where we can get to a an outcome, sorry, that will produce a positive benefit for you and the money that you're investing in this company. Wow. That so it takes great. a strategist, uh, Frank. I'm sorry to. to uh, no, it takes that's a fine. Please go ahead. It, yeah, there's a difference between a business plan writer and a business plan strategist. And I'm a strategist. I listen to people. I I give feedback based on well, if you tweak this, if you tweak that, then we can you know do a lot more with your idea. And I find that my clients really appreciate that. From me because I'm a business owner and not just an order taker business plan writer as well. And I keep up with the latest trends too with regards to business. I spend a lot of money on educating myself with regards to the latest trends in marketing, in finance, et cetera, et cetera. Um, competitive things that are happening, you know, within business. You know, I'm curious about this. Just has just come to my mind. I often tell people that one of the most important things about your business, your business model, your business plan, or whatever the heck you think you're up to in business is, what about you? What is your personal why? Why did you go into business with the risk and the work and the, you name it? And uh, is that, do you, it's kind of like you were just about there, you know, if you tweak this, then get that. Do you sort of do a little sort of armchair psychology to try to dig into what is this person actually trying to accomplish, sort of irrespective of their business? How can I help them get what they want? Yeah, so uh, yes, I am an uh, armchair psychologist. Sometimes I'm a marriage counselor. You know, if I have <laughs> couples coming in, all of that is required. Uh, but I will say that goes back to my initial, initial statement about do you want a lifestyle business or a scalable right. business? Mm -hmm. And one of the big things that I try to uh, listen for as I'm speaking with people is, are they really looking for a scalable business? Do they have the type of lifestyle and are they willing to spend the 50 to 60 hours for the first couple of years getting this thing off the ground? Depending on the amount of money that you're raising and who you're raising the money from, these are some of the sacrifices that are going to be uh, expected of a person. You know, you're you're taking hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars in order to grow this business. There's a certain amount uh, that you're going to have to be able to put into that business. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, also being able to do what it takes to pull a team together and being mm -hmm. able to direct that team in such a way that. The right hand knows what the left hand is doing and everybody is working, you know, towards the same goal. Um, so, yeah, I, I really appreciate the, the wisdom that you're sharing there, because uh, I was uh, the co-founder and CEO of a startup company back in the dot com era. And I've widely documented uh, documented my experience there, which was not good. And mm -hmm. a lot of it had to do with the fact we raised over three million dollars. But uh, these investors, they're not kidding around. This is real money. They want their money back and they want a return on the investment. And no matter what happens, for example, 9-11 uh, occurred while I was uh, leading that company. That's like, OK, well, how about tomorrow? And uh, so people really need to understand when you're asking people for money and particularly if they give it to you, 
you need to be able to pay them back. And are you willing to make the sacrifices required in order to get that ball across the goal line? Yeah. Now, can, that's I, kind can of, I mention one more yeah, thing? Yeah, please Frank? go ahead. Uh, um, so I was talking to an angel investor once and she was telling me of her frustrations of one of the uh, companies in her portfolio who um, did not reach out to her when they were trying to get an appointment with a specific individual that she knew. And uh, about nine months you know, after her investment, she finally gets them on the phone with a couple of other investors. And, you know, the question is, what have you all been doing? You have made me money. And they said, well, for the past nine months, we've been trying to reach out to this specific prospect in order to get a meeting. And she's exasperated on the phone saying, if you had just told me that that was who you were trying to meet with, I know this person, I could have gotten you a meeting nine months ago. Wow. So a lot of times investors get frustrated because the entrepreneurs are trying to do everything themselves instead of leveraging the team, which includes the investors that have given you their money. And if they have a contact, they obviously believed in your business because they put money into it. They would be willing to help you in ways beyond the money that they're putting in. So sure. um, that's another big lesson that I try to tell people. Yeah, they, they really are your partners in the business. Mm -hmm. I will tell you, though, from the entrepreneur's seat that the, that the uh, entrepreneur, may, entrepreneur may not have known that there was a connection there. Also may not have known that that investor was willing to do things like that. Although it seems to make sense on the face of it, of course they would. They wrote you this big check. They're willing mm -hmm. to do whatever they can. But anyway, it comes down to communication, and it's interesting because I have an, uh, an interview in the archives of Radio Free Enterprise. That's exactly it. The title of it is How to Talk to an Angel. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it's all about the breakdown of communication between those two levels. But obviously, Cherie, we could talk for days about this. And I have a feeling you would be able to deliver the value for days as well. But I wanted to uh, keep moving with a couple of more questions. That's sort of a real fundamental bottom line question that a lot of people wonder about is, how long should a business plan be? So um, I'm going to break it down. Number one is the days of the 100 page business plan is dead. Even the 50 page business plan is dead. So everyone can take a huge sigh of relief. <laughs> right. <laughs> there are two types of business plans that I do for people. One is what I call a traditional business plan, which is anywhere from 20 to 30 pages. And that includes your financials that you have in there. Um, your financial assumptions, I should say. So uh, it needs to be long enough to tell your story, but not so long um, that it is uh, overwhelming. So I say a good 20 pages. Now, mm -hmm. for my tech companies, uh, and mostly for my tech companies, a five to seven page executive summary with some strong financials usually does the trick. And I've seen people, I've had clients raise seven figures on a strong seven uh, page business plan, a pitch deck and financials because they can care more about the MVP or the, um, the prototype and mm -hmm. getting through beta like that for a tech company. That's usually the big thing, especially if you already have gone through beta and you already have paying customers, then you mm -hmm. usually don't have to have as much. Uh, in there. You know, it's funny, and I don't know whether you'll be surprised to hear this or not, but 
the business plan at my dot com startup was over two hundred pages, and uh, at Oof. that time, and it's, it comes up a lot in interviews how much things have changed. This is yes. before the advent of the lean startup, and really a lot of what we know now is what we learned about what was so crazy back then. But we literally had a thing we called the thud factor, which had to do with how what the noise was your business plan would make when it landed on somebody's desk. Uh, so obviously that is nonsense today. But uh, And I agree. I mean, people just don't have time to read all that. In fact, what are you going to tell them? It's got to be, you know, icing on cake that's just not necessary. Now, how long will it take uh, to write a good business plan if someone were to engage you? So if someone were to engage me, it usually takes about two weeks, two and a half weeks for us to get a first draft. If you're doing the business plan yourself, I usually tell people to budget 40 hours because by the time you do your research, you write your first draft, you pull your financials together, uh, you get an editor involved to edit it for grammar, for spelling, as well as for strategy, it's usually about 40 hours. Um, but our process is about two to two and a half, maybe three weeks, depending on our production schedule. So uh, typos and, and bad grammar are, are not uh, recommended for a business plan? No. <laughs> no, they are absolutely not. It's really funny because I... Um, I somebody had suggested a writing assistant to me and I gave the person a sample business plan to do and the um, English grammar was so horrific that even if the person like had a great idea I could not tell because the grammar was so awful that mm -hmm. I couldn't get through it. So I do tell people I do really suggest if you're going to write your own business plan to invest in a good editor. Now, first impressions make a big difference. And let me just oh, say yeah. this, Frank. First impressions make a big difference. And if if I have $300,000 that I can invest in your business and I receive something with grammatical errors, spelling errors, et cetera, I'm wondering what does your website look like? Right. You know, right. Um, when you're communicating by email with customers, do, does that communication um, reek of these issues, etc. So you definitely want to make sure that you invest in that. I'm a big stickler about that as well. Uh, mm -hmm. But not everyone is, but it, it doesn't matter. This is business. And mm -hmm. as you say, $300,000 and you don't know the difference between there, there and there. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, now, with that in mind, I, you know, one of the things that I do is help people become authors. Mm -hmm. And I often say I can help you write the book, but I can't read the book for you. And I refuse to publish something to the public that you haven't read. And so, you know, because I can only imagine chapter three. I never would have said that. Well, apparently you did somewhere in one of our interviews. But anyway, it's important to get the client engagement. Luckily, in your case, if it's seven pages or 20 or 30 pages, it's going to be a little bit easier, I guess, to get them to buckle down and do it. But is client engagement with the process a problem for you? I haven't discovered that it is as much of a problem for me. I, I find that my clients are uh, engaged. Now, the way that they engage is different. And I've learned that over the years. Some clients are great with email 
and they, you only email them because they're busy, you know, during the daytime, etc. Some clients I have to get on a Zoom call, you mm -hmm. know, uh, or on a telephone or something like that and say, this is what we're looking at. This is what we want to do, etc. Um, but I'm very fortunate. I do have engaged clients. You know, I, it just occurred to me, it might be because there's a giant pot of money at the end of the rainbow, uh, you know, instantly, or, or at least a more of a, a instant gratification. Uh, my clients, of course, are writing books in order to generate revenue as well. But uh, mm -hmm. maybe they're not seeing the direct connection quite so well. Yeah. Now, can you, I, can you I mentioned... just give you a, um, a, a, a testimonial uh, yeah. with regards to writing books? My book is my competitive advantage in my business. And I believe that book is responsible, probably 70 to 75% responsible for me having the success that I have. Um, I suggest that anybody, especially if you are a service provider, uh, write a book. I cannot stress it enough. You are going to discover that your business is going to at least triple just and, and I give away my book too. Um, right. Sometimes I charge shipping for it, but I give it away to prospects and they don't read it. <laughs> I'm telling you right now that the majority of my clients do not read my book. However, I'll tell you two things. Number one is um, they love the fact that they get something from me and it's another touch point, especially because my prices are not $500, right? And then number two is I've had people say to me, Cherie, you know, I um, I was doing something and I, re I remembered that I needed help with another business plan and I saw your book on the bookshelf and I contacted you, you know, because I, I Googled you again um, or I found you in my email and I was able to send you um, uh, an email. So what I'm trying to say is that writing a book is going to pay uh, in dividends for you because people don't throw away books. They, they tend not to. You know, it's funny you took the words right out of my mouth. It's mm -hmm. amazing. It's almost like sacrilege to throw away a book. Yeah, and, it is. Uh, I imagine you've had a similar experience. I will visit, uh, well, clearly pre-COVID, but I would visit uh, someone's office and see my book on their desk that I had given them, as you said, as a gift, or see it standing up on the shelf. And there it is, you know, a silent uh, billboard for me all year round. Uh, yeah. And a reminder to them that, you know, keeps me top of mind. And I agree. I give away lots and lots of books. And mm -hmm. I would also agree that probably most people don't read them. But mm -hmm. they know a couple of things. They know I wrote a book. And they also know I was generous enough to give them a copy of it. So, yeah, yeah it's a big, it's a winner. Um, Can I say one more thing about the course. book? Is that I have been paid by, especially colleges, they do not allow you to get a speaker fee, mm -hmm. but they will buy your books in bulk and that ends up becoming your speaker fee. So, nice. you know, I'm, I'm sure you tell people this, but I just want to say again that I, if you're on the fence with regards to writing a book, I, again, cannot stress it enough how it's going to differentiate you in the marketplace. Fantastic. Well, I would appreciate it if you would continue doing advertisements about the power of becoming a business author. Uh, <laughs> but let's get back to business plan for a minute. You mentioned sure. uh, financial projections, and I got to hand it to you. 
you know, there are people who can write and there are people who can crunch numbers, but those usually aren't the same people. Uh, yes. So this is another area where you help people. What What is it that, uh, you know, do your clients bring you a shoebox full of receipts like an accountant would get at tax time? What do they give yeah. you and what do you produce as part of your service? So my clients, I'll be honest with you, my clients usually give me, you know, their, their aspirations. And then mm-hmm. I have to turn those into numbers if they're a startup. Okay. Uh, I'm working with a lot of existing businesses right now. I'm usually able to ask them for last year's uh, P&L, profit and loss statement and balance sheet. And I'm usually able to get that, especially right now, because we're filming in April uh, and this is tax season. So most people mm-hmm. do have their financials from you know the past 12 months. But um, I spend a lot of time reviewing what the clients want. And then either I have to do market research or I have to have them do some market research in order to figure out what the costs are. Sometimes there's special equipment. Sometimes there's custom software that needs to be created, et cetera. At those points, the client has to go and get that information uh, because they know what they're looking for. But then Mm -hmm. if there are um, salary requirements for certain types of personnel, et cetera, I'm able to get those. Great. And. Isn't it true that different industries structure their P&L statements and I guess for that mm-hmm. matter, their balance sheets differently as well? And so you have to create projections that are appropriate to the industry. That is true. That is absolutely okay. true. Um, let's say I have uh, gotten you to write me a professional business plan. And I mm-hmm. assume uh, as part of this process, I told you what type of financing I'm looking for uh, and, and so forth. I've got it in my hot little hand. Now what? What do I do with this beautiful new document? So I suggest people, even before they have a business plan, they start talking to prospective funding sources. So one of the things that I suggest, for example, if you are looking for bank funding, is to start off with your bank to go to the local credit union, to go to the local small banks, and to begin to develop a relationship with the um, the bankers, the commercial bankers there. Mm. The reason for that is because, especially in a lot of small banks, what will happen is they will get your business plan and your application for the loan. And then usually there's a meeting that happens once or twice a week where a group of people within the bank get together to decide which loans that they intend to fund. And you want the person that you're developing a relationship with to fight for your loan, to fight for it to get funding. So a lot of people don't recognize that. so I, I say the best time to start that is before you have the business plan, you know, and the business plan is only one part of the application as well. So you ask your banker, hey, what else do I need? You know, this is the type of business that I have. When was the last time your um, your bank funded a business like mine, et cetera, et cetera. And ultimately, you want to kind of pit banks against each other as well. That's how you're going to get the best interest rate. That's great. If you... If you're going for private investors, you also want to, again, start developing relationships with them even before you have the business plan finished. 
That's a great idea because it really it's all about relationships. You're borrowing money from people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the longer they've known you, the better they trust you. And if you told them a business plan was coming and then lo and behold, here's a business plan. And wow. Yeah. It reads great. Yeah. It looks very professional. It's telling me what I need to know. You know, that really, that's that's great advice. Okay, yeah. so Cherie, I'm sure a lot of people who are watching or listening are thinking, wow, Cherie really knows what she's talking about. And I am thinking I might want to hire her to work with me. What, what happens after, uh, let's say, and well, let me ask you then this first. What's the best way to connect with you? Uh, so my website is wewritebusinessplans.com. I like wewritebusinessplans.com. You come there, there's a contact form, and you're able to connect with me, and then we're able to schedule a session for me to learn more about your project. Okay. And is that uh, a telephone call, a Zoom call? How long does it take? Does it cost any money? So no money. Um, mm -hmm. It's usually a Zoom call, 15 minutes. However, I have done telephone calls for people uh, as well. So okay. I, I typically like to see people as well. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I like to have the camera on and, and, and get to see people and get their energy too. <laughs> what sort of questions should they be prepared to answer for you? You know, I start off pretty broad. I just ask, you know, what kind of business are you starting? Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about yourself. How'd you come up with this idea? And I'm really getting a feel for the person and their aspirations, what they're trying to achieve. Um, you know, what kind of funding are they looking for? Do they have any idea how much funding they're going to need? Uh, Frank, there are a lot of people who come to me and say, I don't know how much money I need. All I know is I have this business idea and I want to create a business plan mm. for it in order to get it uh, off the ground. So, you know, um, I'm, I'm a pretty uh, flexible person, you'll discover. I just want to get a feel for you. And I want to get a feel for if I'm a right fit. Because there are people that I turn down. Um, and it's not to be mean, but sometimes, first of all, I don't write anything that I don't believe in. That's great. So I don't do anything... Um, you know, within certain industries, I'll just say, I don't do anything okay. within certain cannabis is okay. <laughs> as long as it's legal in your state, but you know, certain types of, uh, industries I stay away from. Okay. Um, and then, you know, if I don't believe it's something that people will fund, I've right. had people get kind of upset with me and, you know, say, well, if you don't want my money, well, no, I'm trying to save you. Sure. And then, you know, one gentleman was gracious enough to call me back a couple of days later and say, I shouldn't have yelled at you once I thought about what you said, you were right, you mm -hmm. know, and a lot of people will just take people's money and I just don't want that, you know? Yeah, that's unfortunate. So. Uh, this Roger London, the angel investor I was talking about, he said, Sometimes the biggest favor you can do for someone, as he put it, is to tell them their baby's ugly and that yeah. uh, they need to move on and save their marriage and not get a second mortgage on their house and not, you know, do all of these things in, in pursuit of something that's never going to work anyway. Now, yeah. Cherie, we are just about out of time, but I always like to close by asking my guest whether there's a question I have not asked you that I should have or something that's come to your mind that you'd like to share before we sign off? 
Sure. Um, I will say that, um, you know, being an entrepreneur is a blessing, but it also takes a lot of work as well. It is the great American dream. And one of the great things that a, a business plan does is it provides clarity. So not only do people fund great businesses, but people also join great businesses as well. Mm -hmm. If you're looking, if you have the type of business and 99% and of businesses are dependent on their team members, in order to attract a great team, you need a great business plan. In order to get your spouse on board, you need a great business mm -hmm. plan. In order to, you know, work through those tireless nights <laughs> of being an entrepreneur, you need a great business plan because it, it provides clarity and strategy for you and your growth. So uh, with that, you know, reach out to me, wewritebusinessplans.com, and let's just talk about your, your, um, your project and see if there's something that I can help you with. Cherie Warwick, thank you so much for sharing all this with us today. Thank you so much, Frank, for having me. Thanks again to Cherie, and thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Frank Felker saying I'll see you on the radio. Forgiving your entrepreneurial sins with a gentle wave of his microphone, here's Frank Felker.